You're listening to The Alan Carter Show on Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, hello, I'm back again. It's Arlene Bynan, and I'm happy to be in the saddle here, filling in for Alan, and we're going to go through all the stuff that's happening and get you ready for the weekend here. You know, this story is a story that would get some attention, but in the current atmosphere, it's getting a lot of attention. The province has announced it is not going to back the funding. They're part of the funding because it was a, a, a tri-level funding for a new community center in Lawrence Heights. And then we factor in, what was it, yesterday, 21 people had shots fired at them in the last week in the city of Toronto. And we're watching the violence in the United States. We've been talking about a gun ban and what we should do to make our city safer for decades and decades. But it's kind of a coming together here. It also is a poignant focus on the province of Toronto and the province of Ontario. They got in, the Premier got in with a promise to cut funding. And everywhere they cut, they're getting some pushback. So now when the province announces this, we say, what do we do about gun violence in the city? Do you ban guns? Is that enough? We know there's going to be an announcement, the premier and the mayor of Toronto making an announcement next week. And it sounds like they're going to put more boots on the ground, more law enforcement on the ground. Plus part of this, of course, is how much power law enforcement has. We're going to take your thoughts on how you feel about a cultural community center as part of the solution. But first of all, we'll get the background of it. Eric Vella, Erica Vella reports that area residents in Lawrence Heights say they're very disappointed with the move. I think that's really bad because, I mean, it could be useful in the area. This mother says a cultural hub in the Lawrence Heights neighborhood would make all the difference to her 10 kids. I have teenagers, I have, like, youths that could benefit from programs and stuff. Especially at a time when she's seen a spike in violence in the area. It's not safe for my kids here anymore. I don't even want my kids to play outside anymore. Like, it's frustrating. In April 2018, the Ontario Liberal government announced funding for a new community hub that would be built to benefit Lawrence Heights residents. The future community space would include a pool and aquatic area, a double gymnasium with a running track, multi-purpose rooms for activities like dance, and administration and office space. The government pledged $14 million. But on Thursday, it was revealed the PC government would be holding back its share of the project. This was a project that uh, that was talked about, it was an idea, but it was not funded. The Liberals had no money set aside for it. The specific application here has to be brought forward before we can commit one way or the other. To hear that the Ford government is cutting their commitment of that one-third, $14 million, really means that uh, this will not go ahead, it will be delayed for years. Distressing news for the area councillor and former Liberal MPP. This community hub would be a safe haven for young people, for old people, where they could uh, get involved with community activities, with arts, culture, sports. I'm not really surprised that they'd be doing this to people who kind of need it. Over the last month, there have been a rash of shootings that have happened in the Lawrence Heights area, and some residents believe a cultural hub would help the community come together. At least if people got together more and built more connections with each other, they'd probably think twice. 
There is an existing community center there. Um, it, I don't think that having an upgraded community center in 2022 would have prevented any uh, uh, shootings this summer. Meanwhile, residents are looking to the future. To cut down on the violence and stop these waste youth from shooting up the place. Hoping the province will contribute their share of the funds. Stop hauling out and let go of the fund. Let it go to good use. Martin says she does see the benefits of the potential community centre, but the province says it hasn't received a formal infrastructure project application. The city will be able to do that later this year, and at that point, the province will consider funding for the project. Erica Vella, Global News. And there we have it. It is complicated. And as I said as we began this, this would be a story it always is. Where do we need community centers in our city? And what do they do? However, it is really more poignant. It's become kind of a symbol of what may be a broader plan. You know, the the province uh, trying to cut as they promised. And here they probably thought, well... We can hold back on this, and now it has become a political star because all this violence, gun violence, and let's not forget, as we look at what's happening in the United States, it does affect us. We see what happens because we see how the problem grows. It's not a new problem in the city of Toronto, but it is one that really puts the pressure on politicians They're supposed to help keep us safe. We're going to take your thoughts uh, in a few moments on how you feel about this uh, cultural community hub and how it is part of a solution. And there's a real sense that that what's coming into focus here is, you know, a gun ban or community centers or um, better policing individually may not be the answer to this problem, but collectively it, it very well may be because we've got, again, the focus on guns. How do they come here? Where do the guns go? And if you put a gun ban in, it's one of these things. It makes you feel good. But does it really, really solve the problem? So it's it's escalated. And also in the back of our minds, we know it was just a year ago that the shooting on the Danforth happened. So that is a reminder that we can be put into international headlines and it doesn't take too long. Community centers have always been seen as a way to help people in communities and get them off the streets and you talk to those who work in these centers and they say you know it sounds to some people all Pollyanna but in so many ways it does work you know if you have a a home life that you didn't choose and maybe is a home life that's not giving you your support sometimes just getting involved in the power of sport or uh, the power of community can really, really help. It's, you know, in small towns across Canada, the community center is really so powerful. You know, when you live in the big city, you think, well, do we really need them? There's so many other things to do. And we all know the politicians love to make decisions because it looks like they're doing something so that those who are saying, you know, the gun's the answer and those who are saying the police are the answer and those who are saying, no, we got to get in and help these troubled souls. Maybe it's a it's a whole pile of it, including enforcing the laws we already have, making sure those who choose to break the law 
face consequences. And there's a real feeling right now that because of all these things coming together that were unforeseen, that these kind of solutions can't just be kicked down the road and put on the back burner. They're going to become very important. In fact, this little microcosm of what we're talking about, what do you do in this area? And let's face it, Lawrence Heights has been part of the rash of gunfire. It could be a microcosm of a bigger conversation that is going to be happening in the election campaign that's coming up in the fall. We're going to take a break, and when we return, we're going to talk about another challenge of Ontario. We know that this government has walked back down the road on a few things, and they're doing it. is being turned around by the Ontario government. We're going to take your thoughts on this. You know, they have walked back on quite a few things that were part of their cut and repair program, and now they're doing it again. I think if you're a government and you see yourself going down the wrong road and you can turn around and come back, I know it used to be known as a flip-flop, I think it is a positive thing when you take your thoughts on how they're turning it around. How does it look for the future? And here's what they're doing. Their latest is we know there was a great hue and cry after the the provincial government announced that they were cutting funding for out-of-country health insurance. A little bit of a shock. A lot of people didn't realize how much they relied on it. Well, now people in Ontario who have kidney failure, are they going to get some funding for dialysis services when they're traveling abroad and they used to get $400 a day for a higher level of care intensive care when you're out of country and $50 a day for emergency outpatient and doctor services a lot of people didn't realize we just took it for granted and now because um, people who rely on dialysis said they just needed it. You know, if they have to travel for work or they have to visit family, they cannot get private insurance to cover the cost. So Christine Elliott said yesterday that they're going to reimburse dialysis patients $210 a treatment, and that is the same rate as the program that is being canceled. So what do you say? You know, here they are clearly listening and saying, maybe we went too far, we were too strong, and really pulling things back. Do you see this as a strength, a, a wise move of this government, or do you see it as a weakness. You know, years ago, it used to be when when governments or politicians turned things around, people would start yelling, flip-flop, flip-flop, which was always a really, a really bad sign for that government. And so that's why a lot of politicians dig their heels in and say, I'm not going to do it. You know, I'm going to stick with what I'm going to do. Uh, there is a challenge now by this Ontario government, very, very ambitious with their cutting when they came in. And now we had some polling, as we know, struggling in the polls, and clearly they're trying to make some repairs. Is it going to work? 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. Or if you voted for this government and you wanted to make sure that they were making cuts, are you watching 
what they're doing. Are you concerned that maybe their ambitious program might not be the one you voted for? Cuts are always really, really hard to do. You know, former Prime Minister Paul Martin was noted for getting Canada and balancing the books, you know, whether you're right, left, whatever. He he did get a lot of credit for that. One of the things he always said was the reason he did it without this kind of pushback, he said, you have to get people on board. You have to get people to say, I'm with you. I understand what you're doing. And I'm prepared to take the bite. And maybe that's uh, um, part of the problem here in the province. Uh, Some of the stuff seemed to come out of the blue. So we're going to take your thoughts. You know, we're starting to see this turning it around. How far should they turn it around? How, you know, on on one, one hand... If if they go into some of these programs and start to make amends and start to fiddle with them in a way that is more palatable for those people who are involved, they're going to appease a lot of the voters. On the proverbial other hand, there are those who say, you know, this liberal government left the province with a big, fat, huge bill, and I want it cut. What is important to you, especially when we come to health care? I mean, these stories are pretty hard for any government to fight back on. We see autism and we hear from these families. We hear how they're struggling. We imagine what it would be like. And we say, is that really what we want to happen in this province? It's the same thing for out-of-country health insurance. I got to be honest, when I heard it, I went, wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, you know, we just took it for granted. We knew that if we traveled and you get health insurance when you go somewhere to make sure that you're covered in all aspects. But, you know, as Canadians, we walk around with a feeling that the government has our back when it comes to our health care. And it makes us feel confident and it makes us feel, dare I say, Canadian. So when the cuts in the health care happen, that's really, really hard to push through for any government. So I, I would predict that we're going to see more of this, a little bit of fiddling from Premier Ford in Ontario to try to turn that stuff around. It makes people frightened, and it certainly makes those who are health-challenged and vulnerable, it makes them feel very, very frightened. And, you know, there also is the question, how much did they research this? Did they not, or was this this a product of a new government when they come in and they don't know the nitty-gritty of it? So if they look through and say, we can save here, there, and everywhere, maybe they should have said, how, how big will the outcry be? I think a lot of governments, when they come in, they're filled with um, a feeling of power and a feeling of wanting to do all the things they promised that people voted for them. And then the pushback happens. So we've got to turn around on the dialysis. What about the rest of it? Do you want the whole program turned around? You know, when you hear of these these other things, does it make you say, you know, I think the government should reinstate all of that out 
of Country Health Insurance, 416-870-6400. It is star 640 on your cell. This is another thing, too. You know, it is the dog days of summer. And in summer and in um, August, where we're all, let's face it, most of us are dying to hit the weekend. Most of us are dying to hit the barbecue. Most of us are dying to go to the cottage. Most of us are, are dying to celebrate a hot summer weekend. And we don't really pay as much attention to these things. They don't get the focus. So this is kind of, you know what they say, I mean, we know in our business here that that a government, if it's going, going to do something that is unpopular or embarrassing or whatever, you know, they often do it on a Friday. They often do it late on a Friday. But you do it on a Friday, late on a Friday, And in August, near the end of the week, you got a lot happening there. You got a lot happening there. I can see, though, as we began, as we were talking, here is another pressure from the province on this funding for Lawrence Heights. And the premier and the conservatives are defending it. It is another complicated matter. I mean, it is three levels of government that goes into that. The promise came from the liberal governments. And you can imagine a new government, if they're going to, a ding stuff. They're obviously going to ding stuff that was promised by the previous government. So I think that we should prepare ourselves for an August where we see a lot of restructuring on some of these, these whole projects because it is August and they have to turn it around and they're going to turn it around at a time where maybe we're looking the other way. And it is not long before we hit the federal campaign trail and how much of Ontario and certainly the Ontario government do they want to be a focus. John in Richmond Hill. Hi, John. Um, My comment is I just can't believe how people are completely oblivious to the fact that this liberal government or the past liberal government, the Wynn government and McGuinty, had such a negative impact on the finances of this province. Mm-hmm. The government's got to keep on track. And I know it hurts, but just like in all our personal circumstances, you can't ignore this. Our debt is higher than certain countries, Arlene, and we can't keep up this pace. So we're going to be worse off than, than what Greece is, for that matter. I mean, we have a bloated civil service. We have um, programs that were given to gain uh, political favors. Uh, and at the end, uh, we just keep paying interest on interest on interest. You know how many MRI machines we could have bought simply with the interest that we've paid? And, yeah, it hurts. But unfortunately, like I said, just like your personal situation, you could live the high life on the credit cards, but at some point you got to pay. And, uh-huh. and a lot of people are saying, oh, we can't, this is terrible, they're low in the polls. What's the alternative? We can't keep on this track. We're going to get bankrupt. We get it, John. But let me ask you. I mean, there are things like health care. When you hear the story that dialysis patients, they can't travel if they have to travel for work. I don't mind my money going to that. What about you? You know, that, that I agree. There's certain exceptions, obviously. I think what they, when they came out with a blanket statement to, to deny access for uh, out of country, um, let's face it, Arlene, people that do travel, by and large, if you don't have the money to travel, you're not going to travel. Yeah, but you so, got to travel for work. 
you got to yeah, travel no, for it. It's being a bit hard-hearted saying, well, they're taking away the insurance if you don't have the money to travel. I mean, you know, we do carry around a little bit of a, a halo around our heads or we're, we're confident that our health care is being taken care of. So politically, that might be one that they could fiddle with nicely. Yeah, yeah, but, uh, but if you think about it, if somebody travels on business, and I do quite a bit to the U.S., OHIP will only pay a certain percentage of, let's say you break a leg in, mm-hmm. in California mm-hmm. or Vegas, yeah. X amount of dollars, OHIP will kick in that amount. Anything up and above that, someone should be cognizant of the fact that, hey, you know what, I need supplementary health insurance when I'm out of the country. I know, but now we're adding to it. John, thank you. And John is a cost cutter here. And so you can see the dilemma that this government is in. Kevin and Halliburton. Hi, Kevin. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How do you feel about it? I feel, well, I just get frustrated because I have diabetes and I have insurance and I have a certain limit of test strips that I can buy and they're very expensive and I'm past that so now I'm paying on my own but I can't afford to go on vacations and stuff and no one's paying for my stuff while I go out of country. It's not so much, what if you had to travel for work though? Then I hope my work would pay for it, I would work for it. But you know, you make these choices, these are choices that we make. So if you have no problem with these cuts then? No, not at all. Even though it's health care? Even though it's health care. I mean, there's health care that we have to look after here, but now all of a sudden we're going to, I don't know. It's not all of a sudden. This is the way it was before for a long time. So it's not all of a sudden. You're right. You're right. It's not all of a sudden. I don't know why I use the word all of a sudden, actually. But it is in the past. And And I think it needs to stop because we are, like I said, we are exactly on a train to bankruptcy in the province and everybody can't have everything that they want and the autism like it's how much why i am sympathetic to the extent of everything i just don't understand why everyone else has to pay for everybody else well, if that's the case, then why isn't everybody else paying? Well, we all do pay for a whole bunch of stuff for other people. That's the fact of life. It's what we're going to pay for. Kevin in Halliburton, thank you so much. All right, we're going to take a break. And when we return, vaping back in the news. It's kind of getting to some people. Let it fly on how we feel about our fellow citizens and how we live together. We know vaping is becoming so popular. And I got to tell you, uh, you know, for me, I'm not that happy about it. And it's it's great if anybody can do what they want to do, I guess, in the privacy of their own home. But let's face it, vapors are out there in places that smokers cannot be. And for those of us who don't like the smell of it, it can get on your nerves. What are our rights? What are your rights? Uh, it remains to be seen. But a verbal altercation that took place, and we know when we say a verbal altercation, <laughs> we know that there was action on board a TTC streetcar over vaping. It's starting to raise more questions about where you can and where you cannot vape, but some of the things that you and I are thinking about it. Global's Karen Lieberman gets to the bottom of it. A verbal altercation on a streetcar over vaping is raising questions about the laws and the etiquette around vaporizers. She's a grown woman. Cell phone video appears to show a young woman coming to the defense of a senior who asked a fellow passenger to stop vaping. 
What should people know about vaping and the TTC? Uh, well, vaping is covered the same way smoking is. It's covered in our bylaw. Um, I also think that we're at a point in history where most people understand that vaping and smoking are the same thing. This transit user vapes. You were putting that away when you were entering the subway. Yes, I did because I don't know if it's legal or not, but by common sense, it's just you don't smoke when you are surrounded with a lot of people in a closed area. Under the Smoke-Free Ontario Act, you cannot vape in any enclosed workplace, public place, and other places designated as vape-free, including but not limited to bar or restaurant patios and within nine meters of the patio, cars or other motor vehicles if anyone inside is 15 or younger, no vaping at childcare centres, schools and playgrounds, and within 20 metres of those areas, no vaping at hospitals and other healthcare facilities, and within nine metres of any entrance or exit. Those that do are subject to uh, a penalty, and that starts at about $235. This sign is right outside Davisville Station. Clearly indicates no smoking within 10 meters of the building and entrances. And have a look at this entrance. More signage says no smoking applies also to vaping. Still, as this video appears to indicate, people continue to do it. You see people doing it? Yeah. Yeah, there's people doing it, vaping in the subway. And TTC passengers don't like it. It would make you feel uncomfortable? Yes, very much. I really do not want to breathe in any of that. She has a point, because according to Health Canada, while secondhand vapor contains far fewer chemicals than secondhand smoke, secondhand vapor is not harmless. The TTC plans to expand its signage to include no vaping. Karen Lieberman, Global News. And what rights do you think we should have in the city of Toronto on what we breathe through our lungs? 416-870-6400, star 640 on cell. I think we should have more rights. You know, I'm turning into one of these people, but I'm doing it from a very selfish point of view. I have a scent allergy. I didn't ask for it, and it started creeping up on me about 10 years ago, and over and over it's got stronger and stronger i take full responsibility for it i don't wear any of these things i i make sure i steer clear of people however i gotta tell you when you have a scent allergy you're around somebody who's vaping and may i throw in perfume in here too all perfume wearers you have to know even if you're out in the street you get a whiff of it and it has a massive, massive effect on you. So, I mean, I'm tying this in with the right to smell. What we have, a right to smell. I'm turning into an activist here. Right? As I said, it's very selfish. It affects me. I, I try my best to avoid it. There's nothing I can do. You know, people say, why don't you take an antihistamine? Well, that doesn't work. It's a reaction to it. It's not. And as you just heard in the report by, by Karen Lieberman, that it's not that it's not harmless. There's stuff in that vape smoke. And I I had two parents, I'll be very honest, they died of lung cancer and asbestos was involved. But so if, if I'm around and I see that something may be bad for my lungs and I want to avoid it, I, I, I do think you got a you got a right to choose what you put in your lungs. But there is, you know, vaping has got this this vibe for some that it's an alternative to smoking and they can do it. Tony and hello, Tony's on the 401. Hey, how's it going? Hey, it's good. Does vaping, are you a vapor first of all? No, I quit smoking a while ago, mm-hmm. but I, th- I think uh, you brought up a good point where a lot of our rights are being stripped 
I mean, what's the matter with having a sign if you have an establishment, say a bar with a band or whatever, and you have a sign saying smoking permitted, right? Mm -hmm. What's wrong with that? And you make your own choice. We're all big people, right? Yeah, I, I, I guess they can as long as the smoke stays in there because, you know, no no man is an oh, island. You're, you're smoking outside and it's the same thing. Yeah, i got to tell you. I If I'm walking down the street, I'm just being honest. I mean, I'm not trying to be a thing or I'm not fitting this into any political perspective. But if I'm walking down the street and somebody's smoking in front of me and I try to dodge them, you know, you go to the left, you go to the right. And sometimes, yeah, they're talking or whatever. I, I get a bit ticked because... I don't want to breathe in smoke. So do, so, so do I. Honestly, I do, right? And um, it does bug me. But what I'm saying is, like you said, your freedoms are being stripped away slowly, slowly, right? So... So you think people should have other people's freedoms. And I totally get it. I mean, you know, the argument when people say, well, I choose to smoke, so whose rights benefit? But one thing affects the other person. And vaping is not a solitary, unselfish act. It does involve other people. When you hear stuff like that, people are smoking or vaping in the TTC. They're ignorant, right? They are. They're ignorant. You're in the public space, and you don't want to get anybody's face. That's all I have to say. All right. Have a great day. Love hearing your voice all the time, every once in a while. All right. Tony, thank you. Thank you so much for your call. And and there you have it. And and here, you know, I haven't gone up to somebody and said, your perfume is bugging me yet. I haven't done that because I don't want to be that person. And vaping, I haven't done it because, you know, you walk through the city, you see somebody who's vaping. You don't want to be, you know, a snitch in a fink. That was that was not a great thing, certainly when you were growing up. On the other hand, if someone was around me and I couldn't get out of a situation, I think I would let them know. I have said to people when I moved away from them, well, this is what I do if I get in the elevator and somebody's vaping, you see that people think that they're alone, or if they have a lot of perfume, I will say to them, um, no, go ahead, I have a scent allergy. And you can see sometimes people are shocked because they they don't think of it. Most people are really nice, you know, who wants to affect other people. But, hey, it's it's one of these examples of you're turning in to that person. You're turning in. And may I say, I'll throw one more thing. I have a peanut allergy, too. Not the kind where I'm going to, you know, lie on the ground. However, they say it can change at any time, but it does affect me. And I'll blow up and get all sorts of reaction. And when I'm in a movie theater or I'm on an airplane, somebody's eating peanuts. You can feel it. I can feel it. Even the smell. I can. And I have to turn in to that person. The way we get our news, the way we get our music is changing and it is going to affect music law to help us with a couple of cases. Alan Cross, 640 Toronto music industry expert and host on 102.1 The Edge. Alan, how are you? I'm fine. It is. Times, they are changing. And now we have a case here that is looking to what is available on streaming music as some kind of an arrow in their in their claim that their music has been stolen. 
Yeah, where do you want to begin with this? Do you want to start with the Katy Perry thing? Yeah, let's start with Katy Perry. Okay, Katy Perry has been successfully sued, pending appeal, by a Christian rapper named Flame. His real name is Marcus Gray. And back in 2007, 2008, he had written a song called um, Joyful Noise. Mm -hmm. And within Joyful Noise, there is a progression of notes called an uh, ostentato, which... um, it's is anyway. It's four notes. <laughs> it's four we get notes. it. We're all right with that, Alan. And four notes. Those four <laughs> notes uh, appear in the Katy Perry song "Dark Horse." Mm-hmm. Now they're, they're not the same four notes, but they're in a different key. They're in a different tempo. The bass lines are different. The words are different. The rhythm is different. Everything is different except the way in which these four notes kind of match up with each other, and. He sued for plagiarism, copyright infringement. And uh, when you have a case like this, you get a, a jury of people who aren't musicologists. The prosecution will immediately strike any potential juror that has any music theory knowledge because they want to bamboozle them with all kinds of music theory. And they get to testify on their behalf. They get some real musicologist to confuse everybody. So upshot of all this is that Flame, Marcus Gray, Mm. wins $2.7 million from Katy Perry because she allegedly ripped off these four notes. Four notes (laughs) from Mm -hmm. Flame. Now, um, let's see, where do we go from here? Uh, So what this essentially means is that for all the universe, Marcus Gray owns the ability to play those or play four notes, forget about being the same four notes, being able to play four notes in this particular style. Yeah, and you've you've just kind of nailed it there, in all the universe. So the floodgates could open from this, because if he can do it, we could end up miles from here. It just happened last night. Last night Mm -hmm. this happened. There's a guy by the name of uh, Steve Ronson. Never heard of Steve Ronson. He's a singer-songwriter that nobody knows. And he is threatening a multi-million dollar lawsuit against Katy Perry. Mm -hmm. And the reason is that he has a song that goes back a a number of years. It's called Almost. And he alleges that Katy Perry stole a portion of Almost for her Oscar-winning song, Shallow. Mm -hmm. He alleges she stole three notes. Three notes. Uh, a C, A, and a B. I think that's that's how the order goes. And and he says, based on that, I was there first. And he, this is a guy with less than, at the time, he had less than 300 listens on SoundCloud. So nobody knows who this guy is. He says, well, she must have heard it. She mm-hmm. has infringed mm-hmm. upon my copyright. Therefore, I am owed millions of dollars for three notes. Incredible. So this is getting really, really goofy. And we're starting to see, this all goes back really to the Marvin Gaye yep. uh, Blurred Lines trial, mm-hmm. where a jury in Los Angeles, a federal jury in Los Angeles, was convinced that uh, Blurred Lines had copied uh, Gotta Give It Up by Marvin Gaye, mm-hmm. not so much on the notes and everything, but on the feel. I was just going to say, yeah. Yeah, so it's, 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 hey, that feels too much like this song. So you owe 
the estate of Marvin Gaye $7 million. And like, I'm going to tell you, I'm no um, songwriter, but if I was, I would go on feel. I would say I want to write a song that feels like this or feels like that. Who owns the feel? And this is, there's going to be a challenge here because let's face it, as you say, you know, this uh, new out of the blue songwriter accusing Lady Gaga. Well, they're not, he wouldn't be accusing me. They're going for the people with money. So the people who are successful are going to be so vulnerable. Let me ask you, is there some kind of a technology where people, when they've created a song, they can throw it in to some kind of a computer to figure out if it if it sounds like something else? People are working on that. The music industry mm-hmm. has a number of software programs that compare data points on various songs. But, you know, if you just look at... <laughs> Listen, the, the, the kind of music that we've been around... Oh, okay, let me just back up a little bit more, because this really exercises me. I, get very I know, I can feel this. it. So if we go back, uh, I mean, there are only so many ways to put the 12 notes of our Western scale together in a pleasing way. It's true. So after a certain amount of time, uh, we're going to get repetition. And it's not ripping off. It is an unfortunate sonic coincidence. It is independent discovery of pleasing sounds without any influence from anywhere else. And, you know, I can give you a couple of cases maybe where, hey, listen, this song sounds like uh, something that Beethoven had done, and the heirs and the state of Beethoven could sue you because you've infringed on his music. You see what I'm saying? It just gets, it's getting so stupid right now because with the Blurred Lines trial, What we ended up having, and I told somebody who were, who covers the court cases like this in Los Angeles, I said, you know, this is going to create a situation where we have uh, ambulance chasing lawyers yeah. running out to find artists who have old songs, other songs, unknown songs, uh, who with, with with elements that sound like something that's a big hit today, and we are going to go after those big hit people and give you your compensation. So if you look at a song like uh, Uptown Funk from Blurred Limes, well, they got hit with it. And uh, and and when we add what's happening now, I mean, entertainment and hits and clicks and all the things that celebrity brings to the exposure of just that story. So, I mean, we pay attention to this stuff, don't we? I mean, when well, I hear that somebody says Pink Floyd copied a song, all of us go, oh, is this a song I like? Is this a song I like? And then we love it when we hear the other song and we try to make our own decisions. Well, and here's the other thing that happens because streaming has made the whole of human music existence available online. People are you know, hearing all kinds of different mm-hmm. things. Music is more available to more people than ever before. It's, it's inevitable that you're going to stumble across something that goes that sounds a lot like something you already know. So you're going to go, hey, this is a ripoff. Somebody mm-hmm. needs to be punished. Somebody has to be called to account for this. Well, hang on. There are so many things that used to uh, have to be considered to uh, be, be called actual copyright infringement. But now the bar has been lowered and lowered and lowered so that now this this joker, this guy from Nashville, can go to Lady Gaga and say, I'm going to expose you for stealing my three notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just insane. So, so again, these are, these, you know, it's like patent troll lawyers. They, they yeah. buy up this intellectual property with mm-hmm. no interest in using it other than to say, I own it, you're using something like it, I'm going to yeah, sue you for... wait in the weeds. Yes. These people are going to wait in the weeds. And yes. I'm sure that there's all, a lot of these songwriters, and they're going through it all right now, and they're yeah, trying and to it, figure it, it out. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how old your song is, 
Because somebody, if yeah. somebody can find something, let's say I wrote a song in 1974. Mm-hmm. Well, this patent troll lawyer or this, this musical troll lawyer will say, well, here's a song that was written in 1970. Therefore, I got there first and I deserve to be paid. Yeah. And the new paid. part of this is this has been going on for some time. The new part of this now with streaming services, as you say, somebody who's had like 300 hits can say, oh, well, maybe one of them was Lady Gaga. Is Yes, that's it. Um, you know, the other thing that we're gets a bit see, silly, though. In a, in a court, in a court case, that stuff doesn't work. So I can imagine. Well, it's not going to work after again, a while. Again, the battle, the bar is so low. I mean, one of the things that we're going to be watching very carefully is the Led Zeppelin trial, which has gone back to court on mm-hmm. appeal because the 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 guitar figure at the beginning of Stairway Heaven, which is called an arpeggio, mm-hmm. is said to have been ripped off from an instrumental by a band called Spirit. Yeah, that's true. That, I love Spirit. It won't may right, I say, and, but. but you know, a guitar, anybody who plays guitar knows that an arpeggio, which is basically mm-hmm. taking a chord apart and playing mm-hmm. each of the notes separately, is something that dates back centuries. And it has that sound and it has that feel. It just yes. does. That's what it does. And I, I've heard the spirit and I've, and of course we all know Stairway to Heaven and I don't see the connection, but you're right. I mean, you know, if you're playing a, a banjo and it's, it's got a certain feel. I, I think it's, I, I have faith, Alan, I think this is going to get worked out. I don't think it is. I mm. think it's going to get worse because, mm. you know, especially if we have one more trial tip in this direction, oh, God, it's... Uh, We're going to get Dream Team lawyers are going to turn this around, though. Uh, they're going to they're gonna take a look at that blood evidence, and they're going to make this... Uh, they're going to make this too tough to challenge in some ways. Yeah, but then somebody's going to step up to the jury and say, if, you, if it does <laughs> fit, you must acquit. You know? <laughs> just... Nicely done. Alan Cross, you have a fantastic weekend. Thank I you. I need a drink now. I'm you so do. I was just going to say that. We all do. It's Friday.